Jerron Eichner, thank you for coming on the show tonight. What is up? What is up? Big Lee Kirby having me on the show, man. I appreciate you. All right, let me make sure. Let me make sure your your mic is up and working. Good. Give us a check one time. Yeah, without without. Okay, you're good. We're well, good. good. I'm just making. It's that first show here at AZMT. No, you're good. And 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 in respect to you as an artist, I want to make sure everything comes off crisp and clean and clear. How are you doing tonight? I am feeling fantastic. Life is good right now. Life good. is beautiful. Good. It should be. It should be. Now, can I say, uh, I, I'm not going to guarantee you that I won't ask a weird or a tough question. If I do, pardon me, it's probably out of ignorance and not disrespect. <laughs> okay. I'm, uh, I'm very old. I'm medicated. And I'm dyslexic. Uh, so, you know, I have my Honestly, issues. I'm all about it. I'm going on an interview run right now. I've done like seven interviews over the last two weeks. Incredible. Um, and they all ask the same question. Incredible. So, well, we're not going to do that, I'm sure. We might yeah. ask a few of the same, maybe not. Thank you, Kit Not K. knocking all the oh, before you Before you take that away, could I get into that, Kit K? Would you like a... Uh, uh, I've got I've got two sodas. I've got a, a couple Trulies, and I've got a couple Mickey Michelob uh, lights. Would you, would you prefer one of those? I'll take a soda. That's right. Well, a soda sounds dope. Would you like Sprite or Dr Pepper? Sprite. Okay, I'll take the Dr pop, Pepper. You know. You're. Uh, I appreciate you rolling with the child, not partaking in the alcoholic beverages. That's a lot of respect. Yeah, I, I don't really drink that much. I'm a okay. Very, yeah, my my wife is actually uh, sober for five years, so. Congratulations to her. Yeah. My wife is a heavy drinker, and I'm a heavy smoker. <laughs> Together, we are smoking water. I, I smoke tough. So. Okay. All right. Well, good. We can share that. Good. Now, I have. I, I, of course, we're here to talk about the movie, but I would be remiss if I didn't kind of start at the beginning, just because I've never met you before. This is our first time actually speaking to each other, and uh, I've been listening to your music as well, so... I'm curious about some of that as well. If we could just briefly talk about your uh, the start and the music, I'll ask you some questions, and then we'll get into the movie and talk about that a lot, I promise. Let's do it. Is that cool? I'm with it. Okay, where did you grow up at? So, uh, I'm actually a military brat. My um, okay. father was stationed in Colorado Springs, is where I was born. He passed away <clears throat> when I was uh, eight years old. Okay, sorry. During that time, I lived in Louisiana, Seattle, um, and then ended up in California. That's where he passed away. That uh, caused my mom to move to Tucson, Arizona. Okay, and that's where I grew up. You've been here. Th- that's where you experience life mostly. That's Tucson. where. I, that's where I lay my flag. Yeah. Right. Okay. Cool. 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 Tucson. I thought I knew that. I was just verifying as we move on. Um, what do you remember your first big influence in music being? Uh, first big influence, honestly, would probably be my sister. Okay. Uh, at the time. Before my father died, she was actually really into rock and roll music. Okay. So she's seven years older than me. I'm 38. So she was listening to like Skid Row and like Bon Jovi and all these people. There was a time and for that. And she had yeah. the posters and on the wall and she was all about that. And that was my first like real, real, real like, oh, what is this about? Why is, I mean, I listened to music before, but I didn't quite understand it. But that was the first time I saw the connection between a person and music. Sure. Like that. Right, and right. trying to like understand all that. It's usually an uncle, a, a, a father, or a family member sometimes. But I appreciate that. Your sister. Uh, yeah. My friend uh, Kevin, his sister, turned me on to hip-hop, which is, uh, you know, just an odd coincidence. Uh, what, where, what convinced you to take music so seriously? Because I can tell listening to your music, uh, it's very diverse. Uh, you had... Uh, dance music songs. You had boom bap rap songs, which I'm, of course, older. I'm more of a fan of boom bap, but right. uh, uh, to experimental new age kind of rap songs, it, it, a few, you know. And I, I just put on the Spotify and let it go without, you know. And I went all over the world. I feel like with Black One and, and Jerron Eichner. Um, 
is it, what what do you think drove you to make so much different kinds of music? Most people don't do that. They're very focused in one area. Right. So, um, my father actually, when he passed away, um, that's when I actually discovered creating music as a form of solace and a way to release emotions sure. and all that. So, the, the, my early music that I made was on some emo, depressive stuff, especially with my, the rock influence in my life and all that. Sure. And so when I got into high school, um, I went to Mountain View High School. There were 20 black kids at the school. We all hung, hung out together at lunch. Um, we, they used to rap battle at lunch. They started okay. battling people. The and good old days. I the good you. old days, right? Yeah. And so uh, over time, eventually they would start rap battling me. And it's like, this and me, like, you know, you skinny motherfucker right. type stuff. Right. And so... Me, being the competitive person that I am, I started writing bars in 4th Hour. And then I would start battling back. Um, eventually, that kind of turned into us forming a crew. And we started rapping, doing shows at lunchtime, talent shows, all that stuff. Um, I wouldn't say until I graduated, I actually uh, hit the scene pretty tough. I actually was a drum and bass MC for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of explains the diverse background. My, sure. One of my best friends, uh, Tyre Disney, he's a drum and bass MC, or sorry, DJ. And I um, emceed for all his sets. Mm-hmm. So I'm playing underground rays, festivals, all this stuff. Eventually, we landed at Vaudeville Cabaret, and we were doing a drum and bass night there. And the owner was like, hey, I'm looking for hip-hop. I'm like, well, I'm, I kind of dabble in that. I've been working on hip-hop music. I'd love to start putting together shows. That started the Chronicle series. To this day, Chronicles is the longest running hip hop night in Tucson. Did that for like 500 shows over the course of 10 years. Wow. <clears throat> Both that's artists from all over the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's when I really got into like the Tucson hip hop scene, um, developing artists, uh, putting together showcases, and kind of just really putting all my all into the Tucson hip hop scene. So, like around age 20, that's when it, things I, I started taking things seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, around 27, um, my child came into the picture. Uh, I had created the child with my with his mom in phoenix so i had to make a decision it's actually kind of funny because the same day that i found out about josiah um i actually signed a record contract with a uk record label called expat records mm-hmm. they wanted to distribute my first album called blacks and rising i get home i'm all excited i get a phone call you're having a kid so um they wanted to put me on tour so i was basically had to make a de- decision between going on tour or coming up here to be a father I chose to come up here, be a father. Mm-hmm. We still dropped the album. And um, yeah, the rest from there is kind of a different story. But that's kind of like when things kind of became serious for me. Where it's like, all right, this is uh, right. what I want to do as a, for a living. This is not a side hobby. You're like moonlighting as a rapper and doing these shows. This is my passion and this is what I want to do. But I call myself a, a multimedia artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, more than the rapper or filmmaker, whatever you want to call that. Yeah, I apologize. It's, no, hard, no, it's, it's hard to fit your resume onto a flyer. Right. You know, no, you no, no. Yeah. And that, that, that's why I came up with the term. Okay. And for me, a multimedia artist is just a fancy way of um, being a storyteller, which is what I love to do. And at, sure. the end, at the end of it all, I'm a storyteller. I used to write stories as a kid, make my own comic books, make my own films, et cetera, so forth. And it all comes back to that, just finding new and inventive ways to tell stories. Mm-hmm. And so... Over the last, see, I'm 38. Around the time I turned 30, I, I tried to figure out ways to monetize this. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? How to make a profit off of this, doing podcasts, making music, really getting into publishing, all that stuff. And then, yeah, you know, been, been grinding ever since. Now the company is doing very well, but we branched out into real estate and um, nonprofits and stuff like that. Well, that's a big move and, and salute for that to take, uh, you know, music income, uh, creative income, and turn it into real estate income and other 
branch is, is, is a, a huge thing to do. So respect for that. You're a very creative person. I don't need to tell you that. You know that. When did you figure out you were different from a lot of other people? Do you or do you maybe I'm maybe I'm assuming that as a creative, sometimes I feel different than a lot of my friends growing up. Uh, family members, a lot of times maybe didn't understand me just as a, and I think it really just comes down to being a creative mind and thinking differently about life than, than maybe some other people do. Do you do you agree? Or? Sure. Um, when did you figure out or start to figure out that maybe, you know, watching Sunday football every week wasn't your thing or, you know, and maybe no, that's, a, that's a great question. Uh, I appreciate the good question. I okay. Think about that for a second. Okay. Sure. Honestly, Take your time. I don't when, want to... when it comes down to, I think my father's influence really told me that I was special. And part of the reason why my brand is called Starstruck is the fact that my father, he told me I could be whatever I wanted as a kid. Mm-hmm. When I was six or seven years old, I was like, I want to be an astronaut. He's right. like, go be a damn astronaut. It's a beautiful thing. Go do it. Yeah. And I was like, all right. So I, after a while, I started to try to figure out how to be an astronaut. Then he, after he passed, that kind of went away a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but his influence, like the ability to just tell me to go do whatever that I wanted to, mm-hmm. kind of was pushing me in directions to make me realize that I can create whatever world I want. And this is something I'm still like coming into terms with, even at 38 years old, sure. where it's like the world. And I talk about this a lot on Facebook. I, I have a big ego and all this stuff. But I really believe that we, you can create whatever world of reality that you want. We'll get to your social media presence in a little while. That, you know, Liddy, you, Liddy, you do Liddy. you do have a you do have one of the bigger social media presence in the AZ uh, Facebook scene, if it will. Um, you have a huge affection, uh, admiration. Uh, I, w- I have to assume for Kanye West. Sure. Yeah. Is it is it the straight creative energy that draws you to him? Is it the talk of being Walt, the modern Walt Disney? The, is uh, is that why is he such a big role model to you? Uh, um, speak to that. Okay. So when my father passed, it's all attached. I got daddy issues. Clearly, obviously. hey, I get it. My father <laughs> so, just died a few years ago, and I've always I've, I've had father issues as well. Right. You know. So, so I, um, I realize, and this is something once again I realize in hindsight, I was searching for role models. Right. And at the time, my family is mostly women. My uncles are out there doing their thing. My brothers, I didn't have a lot of male role models. Mm -hmm. So when I turn on MTV and I see Puff Daddy dancing in the shiny suit, I'm saying doing this and that. I was like, I want to do that. I want to be like Puff Daddy. Right. Mm -hmm. So during my teenage years, I wanted to be Puff Daddy. Interesting. That that was my guy. And I I bought all the albums. Bad Boy was my click. That was just my squad. So but then um, when Kanye West came out and he dropped the college dropout. Literally that same year, I had dropped out of college. Like I had. Okay. I, I, that's I had, a re- that's a relation. Yeah, right there. I, I had because in my family, you know, um, education is it's all about education in my family. My I, my brother's a doctor in higher education. My sister's a doctor in um, microbiology. Wow. So there's a lot of intelligence in my family. Are they both older than you? Yes. So you're the baby. I'm the baby. Okay. Me too as well. And so there's a lot of there was a lot of pressure to go to school. But at the time, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to go to school for at 18 years old. But I went and I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to take these general ed classes and smoke a bunch of weed and party, which is what I did. Eventually, I dropped out. That same year, Kanye dropped the college dropout. And so to me, I was like, who's this guy dropping this album? The album to me was incredible. Mm-hmm. And we so, all loved it. In yeah, hip-hop yeah, thing, and, and so it. following that story and reading his articles and his interviews and the confidence that he had. That same confidence that my father instilled in me mm-hmm. was the confidence that I saw in those interviews. Mm-hmm. Where I was like, "Man, like this guy, this guy gets it. He understands that he can do whatever the hell he wants as long as he pushes for it." And so he's always been like 
he's my biggest inspiration. Um, I joke around and say that I, I graduated from the school of Kanye West. Um, but my soulmate or my spirit animal is Donald Glover. Okay. Charles Gambino. I got it. But he which also is, graduated which is from maybe the, the right. Yeah. Maybe he's the evolution. Exactly. A lot of times in hip hop, you see the family tree. Exactly. And Childish Gambino, uh, Gambino obviously seems like the evolution coming exactly. down the line from a Kanye. And so I, I kind of follow his blueprint these days because you know Kanye's on some wild stuff right now, and he's older. He's a billionaire. I can't relate as with him as much. Right. He's um, got different things going on for exactly. sure. Exactly. What are What are your as far as being a so inspired? Kanye's an inspiration. Um, what do you? How do you feel when he has weird or, or awkward moments? You know, whether it's Trump or uh, whether it's, I feel a lot of his awkward moments maybe, or the media making a big deal out of him to try to sell a story. I, I'm not gonna put it all on him, but but Kanye has had some awkward moments. As a fan, do you? Is there any time where he made you cringe? I guess oh, is course. what I'm asking. Of course, of course. But I think about a tweet he made. I don't even know when it was, but it stuck with me ever since he said it. And he says, I'm living life out. I'm learning out loud. I'm, I'm living mm-hmm. in real time. Mm-hmm. I don't have a, like, you guys see my mistakes and everything that I do in real time because mm-hmm. of who I am and with the position that I'm in. Yeah. And so, you know, if I mess up, it's a big deal. But at yeah. the same time, I will grow from it and learn from it. And that's kind of how I, how I feel. It's like, oftentimes, I think a lot of artists get held back or they feel like, um, they're not crossing that threshold because of what how the world perceives them, right? They're afraid of making mistakes. They're afraid sure. of messing up. And it's like, nah, let's put it out there, man. We're all humans. We're all just balls of meat floating on a ball, a rock right now, trying to figure this shit out. No one has the answers. That's true. So just do it. Worst case scenario, you fail, someone laughs at you. Oh, well, keep it moving. Right. Well, if, if, if we know anything about trying to do something in the modern era, you have to have thick skin, no matter what it is. Absolutely. You want to be a rapper, you want to throw a flyer out. People will, people will pick you to fuck apart <laughs> if the flyer is not if it's you know. And I've dealt with that before. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey, we've all, we've all either made or seen a flyer that didn't you know that, that, that. My first rap beat was beef was over a bad flyer that we made. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Um, you you come from Tucson and, and your music. Uh, I know you probably live in Phoenix now, but um, there's uh to me and I've only been here four years, but in my experience, uh, my young experience, it seems like Tucson may have a little bit of chip on his shoulder for not being recognized or maybe not being given attention to, uh, and not that it's their fault. It seems like maybe they just have something they feel like they need to prove to the Arizona to the hip hop world. Do you think that's an issue? Uh, is there any Tucson versus Phoenix kind of feel? Um, I would say that, that that existed 10 years ago, but okay. I would, me, um, as among others, built that bridge to where that's not the case anymore. Okay. And honestly, Tucson doesn't give a fuck. And when it comes down to is Tucson, and this is just me being me, talking the shit that I do, is a better scene per capita and more unified with better artists. Um, wouldn't hard to, wouldn't be hard to be more unified. Right. I would, I would say. Smaller, right? Well, no, I'm just, there's a lot of drama there's a lot of drama in the AZ scene, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, politics. Dry- unnecessary, I think, most of mm-hmm. it. From what I've seen and I, from what I've experienced it, uh, most of it is unnecessary. And it made to be a lot bigger than it really is. But we all, all are artists. We all are creatives. 
no matter how tough we portray ourselves, most of us are a little sensitive about our art. Sure. So I think that comes out in weird ways, especially when so-called gangsters aren't supposed to be sensitive at all. So it's weird when those type of artists become sensitive about their art. But we won't get into that. So Tucson, to me, is very interesting because I do feel like it has a freedom of being its own world. Um, you know, some the names of the artists are, are different. They're a little out there. You know, it seems like they're doing their own thing, maybe much like Buffalo is doing its own thing from New York, even though it's in that style, but they're kind of, they're, they're their own thing because of the distance. I don't know. Uh, when I started back in the day, sound like an old head saying that, back in my day, there was literally no place to do hip-hop in Tucson. Right. The shows that we were doing were the only places to do hip-hop. And I'm not trying to put this all on my back, but many people in Tucson will vouch for me. I was one of the only people supporting the Tucson hip hop scene mm-hmm. in its growing years. Yeah, there's other people out there too. So I don't know the cameras at, but don't trip. On right, that. it's not ju- it's not just you. Not but just you were me, a major was, player. You obviously a major player. And right. seeing it now, there's so much community and there's so many flagship champions down there that are supported. And that's really what it comes down to is mm-hmm. having those artists that when you hear their music and you see their work and you see their grind, you just believe in them and you root for them. Mm-hmm. And that's really the, the philosophy behind Starstruck when we first started. When Starstruck first started, it was actually a collective of artists mm-hmm. that, that I handpicked and I saw that light in them. and was like, hey, you know what? I think that you're destined to be great. Mm-hmm. And the vast majority of these artists that I brought into Starstruck have gone on to great things. Basically, just by me supporting them and being like, hey, you guys are dope. Right. Sharing their posts on Facebook buying tickets to their shows and i'm saying they'll call me in for advice and i'm like yo go go do that right so that's really what's what it's come coming down to when it comes to tucson tucson's full of champions mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. because of the small amount of this the the size of the city those champions can all work together and really blow up not saying that phoenix doesn't have that but there's a lot of competition out here yeah is it because of the um is it because of the size of basically you're saying it's because of the size of Phoenix? Because I know I come from Richmond, Virginia, and we're definitely nowhere near the size of city that Phoenix is. And I feel it's the same way. The artists, you know, they've they've there was a day when they had that competitive forget everybody else, it's right. my time thing. But over the last ten years, the city Richmond, where I come from, has really come together and a lot of people are benefiting from that. Sure. And um I'm glad that that's happening in Tucson. I wish it could happen in Phoenix, but we'll see. Right now, so, it's still a lot going on for that, you know. Uh, I'll tell you my, my trifecta theory. And what that is is basically that any good scene, um, when I say scene, I mean entertainment-wise, right. has three main components that are successful. Okay. A great sports team. Yes. A great film community and a great music community. Right. Okay. And so if you look at L.A., Atlanta, New York, they have all those things. Mm-hmm. Phoenix has all the elements for that, right? But you know, Suns just got washed. Cardinals are doing the Cardinals thing. Right. Our hip hop scene cannot figure out who our champions are mm-hmm. to support and push up because anybody who does start to rise, we start hating, right? No, 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 no. It should be somebody else, right? Right. So, and then we look at the film community, which is like basically non existent because our film community. Our government out here doesn't want to have tax incentives. We actually just lost a major project out here, um, sponsored by uh, or produced by J.J. Abrams' TV show that he was doing Okay, um, in Tucson, being shot in Tucson. They shot the first season there, but they pulled it and took it to New New Mexico because we don't have tax incentives. Right. So I look at all these these different factors, right? And I'm like, this is why we're not where we want to be as as Arizona as a place to go Mm -hmm. because those those factors just are all fucked up. Mm-hmm. And so me being the person that I am, I try to move and all. I, I, I don't ball, obviously, but um, 
I try to do what I can, right? Being a creative, being having the clout that I have, quote unquote, having the strong voice that I have. I'm trying to, to look forward and see how do we get to that point. Okay. Well, that's good. I'm glad somebody's thinking about it. I think about it. I'm not much of an influence, so hopefully you can uh, you can move you, that forward. If, if you want to influence, I wouldn't be here, man. Well, hey, I'm not just giving out random interviews. I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate you saying that. That'll go into the clips. We'll definitely yeah. mark chop, that one. Chop for the that clips. up. Chop that up for clips. Yeah, that's, that's a hot TikTok for you. Right um, to get into the movies, I want to start with this before I forget this question because it's an important one to me. Absolutely. Um, my wife, uh, my wife's uh, ex husband passed from cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a problematic relationship with my father for a lot of my life, and he passed about uh, eight years ago. Okay. Um, it seems like for a while we couldn't watch a series or a major motion movie without those issues being dealt with. It seems like to me, I'm no movie guy. I'm no movie. I just watch them. I'm, I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm no, I'm no skeptic. I'm no critic. I'm certainly not a movie maker or an actor. But it seems like that is a cheap way to get to my emotions when I'm watching a movie. If To bring up the cancer, the big C, or the problematic family relationships. Because this day and age, we've pretty much all been touched by uh, cancer in some way. And a lot of us have had some type of traumatic issue with their family, whether it's being problematic living with them or losing them. Mm-hmm. Um, is that am I wrong? Is that like the cheat code for getting to my emotions uh, so when you're making a movie? I'll I'll take what you said and kind of expand upon that. Thank you. And you can kind of surmise from that. One of my main goals as a filmmaker is to avoid stories that focus on trauma, particularly black pain. So you know, boys in the hood, hood movies, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, sob stories that are about people just dying. Yeah. Um, without any real substance. Because um, once again, I'm a storyteller and I believe in that the story is everything. Um, and so, and this is, you know, I, I'm, I'm a film student, so I, I took a bunch of story 30 classes, but <clears throat> stories are literally like the most important thing in, in human civilization because they educate, they inspire, they make you feel something, et cetera, so forth. So when you bring that up, the reason why those stories affect you so much is because of the personal attachment to it, right? Mm-hmm. Someone who didn't have anybody with cancer in their life said so forth would probably be like, well, I don't know what you're talking about, right? right. But um, what's interesting that you say that is because you, you, you feel that, and this might get a little bit uh, psychological here on you for a second. Sure, but feel, feel free. I need it. It's right, free. Right. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You, you might feel that you, you're um, seeing that a lot in media because you haven't faced your trauma on that. And maybe I'm a narcissist, so I, I think kind of tend to think everything's about me. No, yeah. not necessarily. My wife at it, one it's time. Just that, like, if it's almost like the the car theory, right? When you buy a car, right? You, you start see seeing them, right. And you never noticed them before because you didn't exactly. have exactly. So your your father so passes right. some cancer. Now you're noticing all these cancer stories popping right. up. Right. It's what I. It's my perspective. Is mm-hmm. what you're saying. And that's that trauma that's okay. kind of resurfacing. No, I, I'll take that honestly. That's no. Yeah. That's yeah. that's that's light work. I take that honestly. All right, so now as we're easing into the movie uh, segment of the show, you you there's no formal education really for hip hop at this point. It might be my whole life. It hadn't been. It hadn't been. Uh, you know, you can't go to school. At least, it, like I said, for most of my life, you couldn't go to school and learn hip hop slang or how to make a beat or how to write a rap. Most of us learn this on our own trial and error. Sure. You alluded to the fact that you've had some formal education for movie making. Yes, I went to Scottsdale uh, Film and Theater. Okay. Yeah, I went there for five years, took all the classes there. Okay, okay. Um, because 
I just want to talk about and, and is is the bond we're talking about the bond that's your new release mm-hmm. you're traveling around talking about it it's been entered into festivals and you've even won some of these or at least this, one of these competitions won, I don't know we've if won I'm, two so far two yes. so far uh-huh. incredible work thank you um, is this your first movie you've made yes so um, the bond basically was never supposed to happen. And I'm pretty sure God had a had beef with me because I finished the movie <laughs> because he <laughs> sure as hell tried stopping me from making this film. Um, so when the pandemic hit, well, let me back up a little bit. I graduate from film school. Film school loves me because I'm taking all their classes. I'm a stellar student. I graduate with top top of the class. They're like, hey, you know, we have this special projects program. You can come back to the school, use our equipment. We'll support you. We got your back. We want to make basically with Scottsdale Film and Theater, their biggest graduate is David Spade. Okay, and they're like, we want another David Spade. We want to, we want someone to graduate and just blow up so we can say that we claimed you. Right. Bet. All right. So I wrote this movie called Magenta, which I'm working on now. Um, I've seen the talk. I watch right. your I watch your socials. And so with Magenta, we were, we were getting the ball rolling. We had cast, we had script, we had everything, all the pre production ready to go. And literally about two weeks before we started shooting, the pandemic was in full effect, and the school was like, no, nah, we're shutting down. So we're not shooting this movie. Um, so I was like, all right, well, that sucks because I don't have access to all this awesome equipment. Um, and then, you know, Trump started handing out money. He's like, yo, here's some free money. <laughs> sit, sit at your home and, and, right, right. and don't do. go anywhere. Here's some money. Right. right. So I was like, well, I'm going to take this money. And I'm going to buy my camera and buy camera equipment. So I bought a black magic 6K um, and all the and all the fixings. And I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to start shooting short films all summer so I can learn how to use this camera. Um, I shot three before I shot the short. So there's a short film version of The Bond. Okay. Um, that's existing on my computer that will probably never see the light of day. I shouldn't say that. Maybe one day I'll drop it. But when you get paid for the DVD release or whatever that is in the future, it's always good for the extras. It, it, right? might, be, it might be on there. But so we shot this short film, which is a very, 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 very loose concept of what the movie ended up being. Mm-hmm. Um, Ash Bridges, who's the star of the film, he's a, he's a um, martial artist and a uh, stunt choreographer. Okay. So he was like, yo, I want to make an action film where I fight dudes. And I'm like, all right, so we'll do this little thing in the, on the side of the street. I found this location um, behind some train tracks behind the or downtown, um, somewhere downtown Phoenix. And, um, you know, we shot this little movie, and they're like, oh, this movie's sick. You should make this into a full film. And I'm like, uh, maybe. So I cut a trailer, and I put the trailer out. And I was like, hey, guys, I want to uh, make a full movie out of this. And it just went crazy. Like, all my fans and all my supporters like, yo, we, I want to see this. So I put up the GoFundMe, and, like, all this money started coming in. And I'm like, oh, shit, I guess uh, I got to do it. I guess we got to make this movie now. But there was no script. So right. I was like, all right, so... Uh, I so this process, if I, I'm... Like I said, I'm a novice, but... So this process kind of happened in reverse, if you yes, will. Yes, absolutely. Like, usually you start with the idea. You start with a full script, and then you get funding or whatever. But yes. so, so you're knee-deep in this without even realizing what was going to happen. Right. So the pressure was on. We're, at this point, we had raised like $3,000. So I was like, all right, let me go ahead and write the script. So I wrote the script in 10 days. And I was like... I just, wow. I just locked in, wrote, wrote the script in 10 wow. days... And then we started shooting. Um, my f- lead female at the time, I'm going to try and make sure this is right. She she was incapacitated. I'm making sure that she's got, uh, she, has, she has a kid now, but I'm trying, I don't want to think she was pregnant at the time. But for whatever reason, she couldn't be a part of the film. Mm-hmm. So I, I had a major problem because I lost my lead female. Um, I made a post on Facebook. I was like, yo, I need a female that does fighting. Um, the homie Daniel Miller tagged Jasmine um, Berber. And uh, she came onto the set, 
And really, that was like the game changer for the whole film. Because what ended up happening was that we started to get knee deep into the script. We're shooting this movie. And about a third of the way through, I would just, I just wasn't feeling it. I was like, the story is not working. I feel like the characters don't have the motivation. I'm just losing the, the, the spark there. Mm-hmm. And so I had a conversation with Jasmine. And I was like, how do you feel about your character? And she's like, I think my character's kind of dumb. And I'm like, explain, elaborate. Why is she doing this? Why is she doing that? Why am I fighting for it? Like, why, why am I doing this? She asked, had all these questions for me. And she's like, well, I should be doing this. And she asked me a critical question. Don't get, give away a spoiler. But right. that question that she asked me changed the whole movie. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I was like, fuck, you're right. We got to reshoot some scenes. And now we're going off script. So at that point, we went off script. So that, like, Which I, is scary. As a novice, I just want to say, uh, to my understanding, that's scary when you have a budget. That's scary when you have a big budget. That people, that's what people argue about right. is going on, you know. Um, so we went, so the, I would say a good 60% of this movie was off the dome in the sense that I was like, this is the scenes we need to shoot the next day. This is how we're going to do it. Wow. You guys know the roles. You know what you're supposed to be doing. So I'm going to go on set. This is how the scene starts. This is how the scene ends. Let's talk about how we're going to get to those to those mm-hmm. two points. So a lot of the movie is at, uh, is improv, um, based off of moments from the script. Sure, um, lead improv, like, right? Yeah. Lead, yeah, exactly. And so uh, I would never do that again because that was very stressful and it ended up being just a whole thing in terms of getting the movie done. And then even on the editing process, trying to put all these pieces together, sure, it was a whole thing. Sure. It's just just a lot, but. Um, I learned a lot and I, I made some really good friends and expanded my team as a result of creating this film. And now with Magenta, my crew is so strong and we're not having right. any of those issues right now. So gotcha. it's, it's a beautiful process. And um, I have three more films I want to shoot in the next five years. So, And now that the first one, uh, you've, you've done it on the spur of the moment and you've done it in a, in a, a difficult way. Mm-hmm. The rest of them should be a lot easier to. Yeah, and we didn't even have half the. Like, even with like. So the biggest feedback I get back on the bond is the sound. And this is a good time for me to address that because motherfuckers sure. be hitting me out about the sound. So the sound literally for half the film was recorded um, in camera with a. Uh, or either in camera or with a, a Zoom recorder being attached to it. Mm-hmm. And literally Joey holding the thing and doing that or with a boom pole. And then Carlos, bless his heart, Carlos Berber, who's like one of the top tier videographers and cinematographers in the game, check him out. He, he, his uh, now wife, Jasmine, was a part of the film and he was seeing what we're doing. He's like, yo, I got the sound equipment. I got this drone. Let me pull up. I might bet. So he provided sound for some very critical scenes, not the entire film, but very sure. critical scenes that help improve the overall quality of the film. And so... And honestly, I was warned about this in film school. Always think about sound. But I, I couldn't afford it. We were spending all the money on food, um, making sure keep the locations and all this sure. stuff. So Carlos pulling it up was a godsend. But since then, now it's like, all right, now we need better sound in the next film. Right. Right. And as we're shooting the magenta, there's things on magenta that I'm like, mm, next time I'll do it different. You know what I'm saying? So it's a learning experience. It's that learning out loud thing. Right. Right. Sure. So by the time I get to that fourth or fifth film, you know what I'm saying? I'll, I'll be fired. Sure. I'll be fired. No hell. doubt. And I'm willing to be out loud with it and be and talk about it because there's a lot of people the same way that I look at Kanye or Donald Glover there's people who look at me who say hey man I want to be like you and do all the stuff that you're doing how yeah. do I do it and it's like yeah. well you got to be willing to fail a couple times one of my questions is, is you've kind of answered because you kind of it seems like you kind of fell into this project but you you chose a sci-fi thriller which for someone on an indie budget it to me seems like a huge choice 
Yeah, I probably wasn't smart. Well, I mean, you know, some <laughs> people in your position might have made an artsy film about two guys that sat in that room over there. Well, all Magenta day. is, is might a, be is more a, that way. Well, Magenta is an artsy drama. Okay, so that that was the plan was to shoot an artsy drama as my first, first film. I got you, like Sundance Bait, right? Right. Um, the Bond is uh, so another critical factor of the Bond that actually made things very easier was the fact that uh, Jasmine, um, Zion. And Ash are all fight choreographers. Okay. So they all have martial arts experience, and they all help the other people learn how to fight and do all that stuff. So that was a big help. And then also the secret secret move in all this was Sabrina Reed. So Sabrina Reed actually went to school with her at Scottsdale Film and Theater. We, we shared a couple classes together. She's actually an art designer, so she does stage production for a bunch of different plays, et cetera, and so forth. She saw what I was doing, and she's like, let me pull up. Let me, let me help you with this film. So she did... The dynamation suits, um, mm-hmm. the logos. She mm-hmm. did all the vests for all for all the turn agents. She did basically all the costume designs and all the design for the film. And she enhanced that film just that little bit amount that I needed because if she right. wasn't there, I would have been like bullshitting it, right. trying to make it up as I go along. Well, so. I just want to say for all the listeners at home, this uh, in 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 the in the scope of the film, in the execution of the film, um, it's it's a good film. I, it's, a, it's a good film. I watched it. I was entertained. It carried me through the story. Uh, whatever you know, whatever small critiques I would have, like you mentioned, the sound or, or maybe certain little funny spots or whatever, the, the, the story carried me through them. It's, it, it didn't stop me at all, you know. And I've, I used to, uh, I used to be a fan of like sometimes weird little indie movies when I used to go to Blockbuster back in the day sure, yeah. and get high and watch weird movies. One of them, I remember, it was pretty much a serious film the whole time. And then at the end, for some reason, one of the characters turned into like a big lizard. And then, you know, I don't know, it was like one of those things, you know, like uh, what is what is with the indie films that have that weird like spot in it? Is, is is do you know what I'm speaking of? Uh, yeah. So, like out of nowhere, it seems like it's a thing for them to put an extremely weird scene or uh, uh, events right in, like in a certain part of an indie film. A lot of it comes down to lack of story theory and understanding that, because you know you, you hear about stories like the hero's journey and all this stuff. Sure. But a lot of times, people just let me. Pull it in real quick. I'm about to say something kind of mean. A lot of time, videographers and just creators in general um, just shoot pretty pictures, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, this shot looks good. Let's put it in, right? Mm-hmm. Or, for example, for an indie filmmaker, oh, let's throw a lizard at the end because it's a nice twist, right? Mm-hmm. But is it logical? Does it make sense? Are we telling a story? Are right. we connecting with the people, right? Fun while I was high, but I think a little weird for most people, right? Those types of movies. And so, know? what it comes down to is just not understanding how story theory works. So just being like, oh, I'm going to throw in a random plot twist because people might talk about it, which might be effective. And honestly, like, this is me talking as a pretentious-ass film student, not as, like, someone who enjoys movies. Right. Because, you know, you might be right. I might get high and watch that and be like, oh, that lizard at the end was crazy. You know what I'm saying? But uh, going to film school also ruined all that shit for me to where, like, I overanalyze. And I was kind of that way anyways. So... Are you a fan of the new movie, Everything Everywhere? Oh, man, that's my favorite movie of all time. Right? That's your favorite movie of all time? All time. You enjoyed it that much? It took a while for for me to make that statement. But yes. Because they had the hot dog fingers. That, uh, this is this my <laughs> so in that movie they had the hot dog fingers which I know is alter- different realities I understand so you, the concept so or principle you actually let me give me give me a chance to circle back to something ahead, about my career back. so a lot of people actually aren't familiar with a part of my career known as the Black One Multiverse. And I'm not even sure if you even came across this, but if you search for the hashtag Black Women Multiverse, 
what you wind up finding is a seven-year-long story that I created with multiple characters. When I say multiple characters, I drop the album as these characters. Bleezy, Dangerfield, Ben Cloak, Cosmic Black, et cetera, so forth. You can find these albums out on Spotify. Each character was a different version of me, mm-hmm. et cetera, so forth. And they're all woven together through short films, music videos, and short stories. And this went on for seven years. I eventually wove in members of Starstruck. And it all came into a head in this book called Parallax, which is actually available on Amazon Books. Yeah, you can book writer as well. Yes. <laughs> and so Parallax is the finale of the Blackwind Multiverse, which if you follow the, my 10 fans know what I'm talking about. They're like, oh, yeah, Blackwind Multiverse. You did all the stuff. You were doing this, 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 this. You have maps and charts and graphics and all kinds of stuff. Right. So I'm a crazy – like for me, like I, I'm, a, I'm a nerd. I'm a science nerd. Like I said, like – I have a family of very intelligent people that just tell me things. I also do a lot of psychedelics, or I used to, not so much these days, but I've done a lot of drugs in my life. And so I've seen things from a different lens. And so I'm a big proponent of simulation theory, quantum mechanics, string theory, all these things like that. So a movie like Everything Everywhere, the one hits every single mark for me. From the action to the storytelling to the casting, Mm -hmm. the fact that short round from fucking Indiana Jones is in that bitch. Bro, it's it's crazy. Like that movie is it's it's perfect to me. Favorite movie of all time, all time. I, I, right, there's a strong recommendation for that. For Absolutely, that I've been. It's crazy because even my people, some of my people might be watching this and like, yeah, he's been bugging me about that film. I've been hitting up everybody about this film. And as soon as I saw, it, I, I texted my best friend like, "Yo, we gotta go see this movie." I drove down to Tucson and took him to go see it because I knew that he would resonate so much with it. Right, and I think it's now his favorite movie too. Right, so understood, understood. Um, the, uh, making a movie is such an incredible process. We all watched as you, uh, you know, tried to garner donations and did. Don't you didn't try to? You did. You garnered donations to feed the crew and and the day in and day out of just filming scenes, tying it all together. Um, the amount of money it takes. Uh, you you mentioned you have a team, and I saw the credits. There's a lot of people. It's not just you, even though it, it seems to come from you and revolve around you. But, of course, you need people. Um, I wanted to let you know my wife uh, and I thought you, you spoke about some people that, you know, shoot a scene just because it's a beautiful-looking scene, whether it has something to do with the movie or not. I felt like you guys shot a lot of beautiful scenes that did have something to do with the movie. And we know, we noticed that. And my wife noticed that. And uh, just as a casual viewer. Thank you. That, yeah, definitely. Uh, a big shout out to uh, my cinematographer, Dan Haynes, uh, Solo Visions. He shoots a lot of videos for Joseph Bills and um, guys like that. Okay. He, uh, he came onto the film um, literally just. So one of the, the beautiful things about the Bond is that most of the people who came onto this film were just either fans of me or did they fuck with me in the past. And they saw opportunity to work with me. Like Joey, for example, shout out to Voodoo Eyes. He's like my protege slash assistant for the company now. He's been, he was trying to fuck with me for like a year. So like the kind of the same way you hit me up for the other interview. I was like, nah, not, I'm not ready for that right now. I'm a very I'm very protective of my spirit and who I bring into my world. Mm-hmm. And so Joey, he would hit me up like, yo, let's work, let's work, let's work. And so when I made a post about the bond, like, yo, I'm casting. He was like, all right, uh, I'm gonna pull up and be in this film. So he got in the film. He's now a close friend of mine, you know, and he's a part of the company now. Right. Uh, so with Dan, Dan was like, yo, let me shoot this film with you. I have a camera too. Like, let me shoot this film with you. I'm like, fuck yeah, because you know, shooting this by myself sounds super stressful, and I actually hate holding a camera and being a cinematographer. I know it's kind of crazy because I do that for a living, but mm-hmm. if I can not hold the camera and just direct, right? Absolutely, that's what it's all about. So Dan sure. pulled up and he's like, yo, let me shoot this. Got you. So we teamed up. We actually 
half the shots of him. We basically had two cameras in every scene. Sure. My camera, his camera. Now with Magenta, I'm not on camera. I have him and uh, Edwin, Edwin Herrera, as my shooters on there, and I just direct. It's been That's awesome. awesome, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I'm assuming as when I think about, can we turn that down in there, guys? And as I'm thinking about this project, it just overwhelms me the amount of coordination, cooperation, money, time, energy, focus that that it just takes to make something like this happen. Um, these these actors, wonderful actors, mm-hmm. uh, wonderful actors, especially the the lead and uh, and and Karen. Um, and when I say the lead, I, I think we're talking about Ash, the the brother that drank, had a drinking issue. Sure, yeah. And the and the uh, and the other brother that wore pink was a bit goofy. Is is the way he's led to be. Sure. The only thing it took me a minute to realize that he was goofy because he seemed goofy, and for a minute I thought, is he supposed to be? But, but it was you know over and over and over. It was it came through. It came mm-hmm. through for that. Um, the choice for the white woman's name to be Karen. It's Kara. Oh, it's Kara. Yeah. It's not Karen. It's not Karen. It's I have bad hearing. The whole time I thought she, we thought she was, they, they were saying Karen. That might be one of the sound issues. Okay, no, it's Kara. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, the reason why I asked that is because this film seems like a time capsule for what we were all dealing with, mm-hmm. and maybe our worst fears sure. during COVID. Worst case scenario type of situation for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, but I mean, years later, you could look back at this movie, and if her name would have been Karen, it would have led to this point more. But it did. But uh, that, I kind of wish I would have called her Karen. Karen being <laughs> such a powerful name for white ladies these days. But um, no, the, the the film really did seem to me to be like a time capsule uh-huh. of what we went through, and I think that's a a, a whole different gem in itself. That years later. People will look at that film and be like, yeah, the pandemic and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, hopefully we won't actually be going through it. Hopefully by then, not. You we'll know. see. Um, is Phoenix, is shooting uh, in and around Phoenix, is that easier? I, me being a novice again, I would think you shot most of the outdoor footage kind of guerrilla style without permits and stuff like that. Is that snitching for me to say that? or um, Do we not say that? Is it improper to say that? I don't know. So... My, my question there, is There this. was a discussion at one point. You can point. leave that alone. My question no, is I'll, I'll answer. Okay, I, I go got ahead. you. Okay. So there was, there was a point in time when we were creating the film, if we were going to go through the film office and be like, hey, we're going to pull permits and do all this stuff. Yeah. That question came up at one more point. More money, more trouble. And honestly, like, I'm artistically petty. And what I mean by that is that if somebody fucking messes me up artistically to where I feel like something's not going the way I want to, I get petty as fuck. And so when it comes to the film office out here, and this is not even, actually, this, this is kind of shots fired. The, the film industry, the film industry out here is fucked up. Right. And I don't want to work with most of these people out here. They try. They try to hit me up and say, I want to do this. But I'm like, no, you guys aren't moving right. Right. And I have stories to tell about that. I might even get too we'll deep take into your that. Word. No, we'll take yeah, your word. But, I, we'll but there, your there, word. there's just some weird stuff. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that we're a red state. A lot of the fact has to do with them black. All these things playing a role into issues what I'm in Arizona, do sure. And I'm not trying to shake hands with, with Ducey so I can shoot the bond, right? Gotcha. Or whoever, right? right. And so, nah. <laughs> we, well, I'm a we, fan we, of we shooting. Were pulling up to these I'm, train tracks and just shooting. Right. I'm, I'm a fan so, of shooting guerrilla style. I've known friends that have done videos and whatever that way. My my point being is to lead to this question: Is it easier to shoot that style in Phoenix than say it would be in Atlanta, or New York, or any uh, another? Absolutely, city? because there's no. There's no structure out here. If I tried to shoot the bond the way that I shot the bond out here out in L.A., I probably would have been arrested. Right. Or because not, people or, would have or, known or, what you... Out here fine. in Arizona, you can almost get away with the fact that people don't realize what you're doing until it's too late. Well, to right. be fair, too, um, the locations that I chose, for the most part, 
were secluded. One of the main locations actually almost got in trouble, like really big trouble over. Um, near, which, the tra- near the train yard? Because they're protective uh, of the, so of the, the train the, track. The fight scene in the middle of the movie between Ash and Joey, that location right there. Okay. The area that we shot at was legit. We were cool to be there, but to the left of it is like a very secure train yard that's like government owned and mm. if you're caught on that property mm. um they can arrest you immediately my son likes trains we've been ran off a few of those locations and so okay. i was there like it's, it's a spoiler of the scene but the dynamation trucks pulling up while they're fighting in mm-hmm. that scene and as soon as we got out of the car they pulled up on us and like you can't be here mm-hmm. this is your only warning we see you again you're arrested i'm like i bet so yeah some scary points in time we yeah. But you got it done. You got it done. And it looks great on I, film. I, I would never shoot the bomb the way that I shot that movie. Again. Sure. It was very risky. Sure. Um, it was fun as hell. I'll tell you that. Um, I had a blast shooting it. But um, now that I'm more legit, has some more money, if I got a pool permit, I'll pull a permit. Right. Otherwise, um, I do have a guy, shot to Rob. He's a location god. I hit him up. He just he just gets me stuff. So You kind of alluded to it. Um it, this any type of movement like this takes a lot of people, a lot of action. Um, and you've mentioned you did get some GoFundMe donations. Uh, we've heard stories of uh, some of early movies being funded with credit cards, uh, investors, this or that. Um, I, I'm not going to check your pockets at all, but you put something pretty incredible looking on screen mm-hmm. for what seems to me a very modest budget, to say right. the least. So, so speak to how hard speak to working within a very modest budget, and uh, a couple of blessings came into our factor okay. to make that happen. And this is shout out to Tyrone Yam Yams. I'm not sure if he's watching, but Yam Yams is a sponsor of mine. They're actually a cannabis delivery service. Sure, big sponsor um, of the Hatrix. I'm yeah, familiar. they're 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 awesome. They they just, I, I were talking about how I don't go to dispensaries anymore. That's because they got me. Well, I need but to holler at Yams. See you what do. He's doing you do. Double they're, Yams. They're, they're dope. So um, Yam Yams. Uh, my, my man with the backpack. Tyrone. Um, he saw what I was. He's actually in the film too. He plays Gabriel, the uh, Dynamation head. Okay. Um, he he was like, "Yo, let me help you." And so he threw a lot of money at the film. That's cool. Yeah, he was like, yo, I got you. Um, cool. If you need something this day, just hit me up and I got you. So he was actually critical in getting some very critical things done. And then the rest of it just came out of my pocket, Sure, honestly. Right. And um, at the time, I couldn't afford a lot of that shit. We were just making that work. Now, is, is it's, there, it's is, less of an issue. But. Is there a viable highway to recoup? From that movie? Yeah. Ooh. Uh, or is this is this we'll an ex- is this we'll see. is this an expense of of work to get to the next place? Kinda? We'll see. Yeah. Um, our budget was only fifteen k. At this point, we've already made back three. <laughs> you put all that on on film. You put all that on the screen for fifteen k. Yeah, that's an incredible accomplishment. And so, hold on, let me. I got to give you that. Hold on, <laughs> hold on. I don't like to hit the applause too much, like some other people. But <laughs> man, putting together a complete movie for fifteen k. Now, I understand a lot of the people, the actors you worked with may be work, uh, working for opportunity and to work with you as you kind of spoke the, the main all the main actors was anybody paid i guess is what yes I'm asking. yes although i do owe somebody some money i'll pay you jubes where you at where's the camera at yeah it's I, on the I, side it's up I, in the I, I owe you some money he will pay you he i owe you some money but everybody else got paid sure i actually just dropped a big old fat bag on ash yesterday so now all right his heart. um okay all right well, i don't want to get part of it with the movie too what i told part of the, the enticement of this yes was that one you get to work with me and i'm fucking awesome i'm right. me got it and two you get 15 percent 
I'm taking 15% of the, of the gross and splitting that amongst the crew, the main cast. Sure. And, so um, New, Line Cinema's, New, New Line Cinema comes and buy this film. There'll be bread to share and spread with everybody. We're not trying pretty. to sell the movie. Oh, you are? So oh, okay. uh, part of it, too, is and I, have my own, I have my own production and media company, so I'm trying to, like, really you know, be independent. Rewrite the blueprint. So that, that's okay. part of the rollout strategy. We finished the film. We did the, the red carpet event. The movie right now is available on thebondmovie.com exclusively. It's the only place you can get it until July 1st, which will be on Amazon Prime for okay. sale there. Okay. And so you asked me the question about recouping. Yes. It's possible. Um, but to be really fucking honest about this, I am tired of this film. I've watched this movie a billion times. I bet. It's still not even as good as I want it to be. It's great. Don't get me wrong. Sure. No. We're moving on, right? So we're going to put this movie on Amazon Prime. Might cut another trailer. Might do some more ads. Might continue this press run for a little bit. But we're moving on to Magenta. And I got like three more projects I got to shoot. That's I'm awesome. Trying to, I'm trying, I got a lot of dope stuff in the works. So just, yeah. I make uh, I make minute and a half, two minute videos sometimes for fun, sometimes to uh, you know joke with the local community. I love and hate video editing because I feel it's very creative. Mm-hmm. I feel like I could sit there and do it all day and make minor changes and never get to the end if I let myself. One, how long did it take to edit? Once you're done shooting, how long does it did it take to edit the bond? And um, do you hate or love that process? So it took a year to edit the bond. Um, there's probably like 15 drafts of it. So, and yeah. I'm, t- I'm, s- I'm assuming you did that. I yourself. did it all. Yeah. Right, right, right. So, yeah. <laughs> With that said, editing is my favorite part of the video making process. Okay. I like I like editing um, because that's to me that's the real storytelling part, mm-hmm. and there's so much room for interpretation. Right. If I take five shots and give them to you or give them to whoever right Mm -hmm. they're gonna it's gonna come out different and it's all really about that interpretation of the edit yeah and editing is like a whole psychological thing which is my shit so i like playing around with the edit a lot more than i like creating the footage for the edit right right what are some hints to how you know when you're done it seems like it could be an endless process like you could with with narratives with with, with edit no with editing you could try a different light style or color you know you could so many things you could do differently so many small things um Um, or do you have kind of a plan and a focus when you begin that's a good question because i think a lot of it kind of depends on what we're trying to do like with magenta like i said earlier i had the entire movie storyboarded uh shot list I had a vision exactly how I want to see that, mm-hmm. right? But if I'm shooting a music video for like a rapper and they don't have like a solid vision and we're just like waving the camera around, I'm just playing around the edit, mm-hmm. then the video's done when I feel like it feels good right. watching it. Right. You know so it's just a feeling you it's get. It's a feeling. It's just a feeling. But something like the Bond, though, there's like a there's a narrative structure that has to be hit. And I'm saying scenes yes. being a certain length. And I'm saying dialogue beats hitting at a certain point, even with sound coming in and all that stuff. Um, so... And that's something I didn't, I kind of underestimated going into it. Cause like, yeah, I got to edit. I'm gonna edit this two hour fucking film by myself in the dark ass room that I have. I'm not saying just doing that. But I did that. And so it was like, well, I learned a lot in the edit. And I'd say, like I said before, I really enjoy editing a lot. I think that's probably my favorite part of the filmmaking process is editing. And besides writing the script. Sure. You like, so you like writing and editing the best? I don't like actually writing in terms of sitting down and typing stuff, even though I talk a lot of shit on Facebook. I don't like writing the, writing the story. I love coming up with the story, right? Creating right. the story. And eventually I do write it. But at this point, I have five scripts that I have that I'm just sitting on that I'm trying to get shot. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to write at least two more. I also, we're also writing a novel version of The Bond to so return into a book. 
to put on Amazon. That's cool. So I'd be doing a lot of writing. Why not flesh it out and make, you know, flesh it out in every format? Yeah, the book will have, like, a couple of extra scenes that weren't in the movie and then kind of flesh out, like, character motivations and descriptions and stuff like that. So there'll be there'll be stuff to pull from it if you've already seen the movie. You mentioned the multiverse. Um, do you feel like movies w- was just a natural transition for your storytelling? It seems like what you have to offer is too much to be contained in just music. Yeah, I'm going to get egotistical for a second. So feel free. I've always felt like I'm ahead of the curve. That's something I kind of pride myself on. The problem is with being ahead of the curve is that usually people don't fuck with you because you're ahead of the curve and you're weird and you're doing whatever but like i said i was talking about the multiverse seven years ago Mm -hmm. and i was popping that off like yo the multiverse is gonna be the wave this is what we're gonna be on um there's many examples of this throughout my career um even like beats one of the biggest examples is the fact that one of the childish gambino songs that he has on the royalty mixtape there's a beat on there i had that beat from that producer on my computer three years prior wow um because we were talking back and forth and I, I'd use some of those beats that he gave me, but not that beat. Actually, we did make a song from that beat, but I never put it out. Mm-hmm. And then I heard it on Charles Gambino's album. I'm like, damn, I definitely have that same exact beat from the same exact producer on my computer. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's many examples like that where I've always kind of seen forward. And I've always tried to be like, well, people are doing podcasts and shit. Well, I got to figure out what we're doing next, right? Yeah. And when, by the time they get to what I'm doing next, we're, all, we're on to the next shit. I joke about it. I'm like, you know, I'm a rapper who made a film. Give it three years, there's going to be 40 rappers who have films in the next couple of years. Yeah. Because the prices are getting cheaper. Yeah. The accent, you know what I'm saying? And it's a thing. But by then, we'll be making like TV series and shit. So. I think the one thing that'll keep a lot of rappers from doing it is the amount of work. <laughs> work ethic is critical. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people get mad at me for my work ethic. Do you, when, to me, it would be so overwhelming. I would get anxiety thinking about the project as a whole. Do you break it down into pieces to make it easier to digest? As far as the work? I probably should, but I don't. Yeah, you just attack it all. I just go in. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it's how my mind works. And what's what's good about being a multimedia artist is that it really helps with my... Because I have a lot of mental health issues. You know, I have... Dep- I deal with this, uh, depression and anxiety, things like that. And so being a multimedia artist allows me to switch lanes. So currently, like even right now, uh, I'm working on three different albums. I'm working on Magenta. Uh, I'm doing all this stuff for um, a real estate agent, and I'm working for a, a rehabilitation center and a nonprofit. But I'm also a father, right? Mm-hmm. I'm also a husband, and I'm also a friend, and I also um, like to play video games, <laughs> right? So I get it. The very right, time consuming. Right, thing, right now, right? I'm trying to beat Elden Ring. That game is kicking my ass. But okay. that's but that but right. But do you sleep I, with all? That no, I do. On. No, that's important too. Okay, sleep right. too. Yeah. So. It's balance, right? right? My life is all about achieving balance. And that's been the, my biggest secret. And I try to put, tell that to people because people are like, oh, man, you're out there working. You're working hard. You're doing it. You must not sleep or not do that. I'm like, no. I get up and I, 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 I chill. I, I watch like five YouTube videos, smoke a bowl. I start doing the work for my companies. And I'm saying I hit, I hit up Patrick. I pull up on him, shoot some videos, come home, uh, work on the film for a little bit or whatever the project for the day is. Right. My wife comes home. We have a glass of kombucha, have a conversation. Um, I go back into the lab, maybe watch some more YouTube videos, and eventually I go to bed around 12 o'clock. I'm up by 5. Sure. Somewhere in there is a nap. Right. Congra- I take naps as right. well. Right. And, and to me, that's like the perfect balance because, like, people, you take a nap during the day? Yeah. I need that. That's how I'm able to stay up to 2 o'clock in the morning. You see me posting at 2 o'clock in the morning because I took a nap that day. Right. And I'm still working on the side, either working on whatever project I'm doing or whatever. So. You recently got married. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm a married man as well. Uh, so I know the importance of uh, a supportive partner. 
but I'm not doing near as much as you. So please, for a moment, speak to the importance of having a supportive partner in this creative world. I know some, you know, I've been accused of being hard to be with as a creative person. And I know a lot of my creative friends uh, have had issues in relationships because some women just don't understand, as the great Will Smith once said. So I will honestly say that my wife saved my life. Um, when I met her, it was a very serendipitous situation, just how we came together without going into details. Right. Uh, we were going back and forth in the relationship thing, and then we decided to get, get together. But the reason why I say that she, sh- she saved my life is because she pushed me to be great. Mm-hmm. And that was what it really came down to. And I, this is part of my, my rollout story that I tell people. But uh, at this point, it would be four years ago, I was working at Waymo, self-driving cars, way out there in Chandler. Okay. Interesting job. I'm familiar. When we first moved here, they were everywhere. Right. Yeah. Um, that would have, been, would have been my fourth nine-to-five job that year. I kept getting fired from all these jobs. Mm-hmm trying to figure it out dealing with depression i was trying i had just broken up with his mom so that was like a whole thing trying to deal with that she was trying to like you know wait for me to figure it out right Mm -hmm. um so i get up and i go to work or get ready to go to work um getting dressed they call me waymo calls me they're like bro don't come into work you're fired Mm. i'm like uh no explanation just like yeah bro don't don't worry about it click Mm. so i hang up the phone and literally um, I, I burst into tears because at that point I didn't know what to do. I'm like, man, first of all, Waymo was paying fat. They're paying like $22 an hour. Like it was good money. So I was like already making plans. Like me and my girlfriend talking about getting a new apartment, all this stuff. And I'm like, damn, the rug just got pulled out from underneath me. And so I'm sitting there crying. I'm just like, man, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And my wife, uh, my now wife comes up to me and she's like, I don't understand why you just don't go 100% in all this art shit. And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, I sit, I'm sitting here. I've known you long enough to see what you do. And you're incredibly talented. You have all these skill sets. But you're on the fence with it. You're only giving half-assed. You're too busy trying to get a nine-to-five right. and not going hard on your company and all this thing. Wow. And that's stressing you out and that's burning you out. And now you're over here in tears because you got fired from your job and you're you're just floating, right? So you need to focus. And I'm like, you're right. I need to put 100% into all this. So I, at that point, I was like, all right. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go all in. I'm gonna do all this. I'm gonna sell these beats. I think the next year I ended up selling like 125 beats and shot like 50 videos. But it was still hard. I mean, I I, I got I, I went down financially to the point in time when my car got repoed. I had to pay to get it out. I had to call the homie. So I hit bottom at some point financially. But because of the support of my my girlfriend, the fact that she believed in me so much, the fact that it had other people supporting me from all my fans from Tucson and so forth, just pushing me. I kind of broke through that mirror wall and I'm like, all right, bet, you know, here I am now. Like, I'm going to fucking do this no matter what. Mm-hmm. I'm going to figure this shit out. We're going to make it happen. Now, at this point, I don't even like to gloat about it too much, but my company is doing very fucking well now to mm-hmm. the point where I'm hiring other people. We're bringing people on. We're trying to spread that love. I try to pride myself on my leadership, my leadership skills. And one of the biggest things about being a leader is that leaders create leaders who create leaders. Mm-hmm. So even with my protege, Joey, Joey, I'm trying to bring him on. And kind of make him another version of me, right? Mm-hmm. He's 26, maybe 27 at this point. So he's 10 years younger than me, right? So ideally, if he can know all the shit that I knew, that I, I wish I knew at his age, right. he'll be a beast by the time he hits his 30s, yeah. right? And we just repeat that cycle. We start expanding the the platform, start doing more nonprofits and start doing like, I don't know, mentorships for kids and things like that and kind of really kind of spreading the blueprint around and creating something that's more than just 
uh, me making a bunch of money off of art. You, you, your partner, your, your, your father, your family sounds very supportive. Is it tough being the brother to two doctors? Absolutely. <laughs> I had uh, my good friend growing up. Uh, his father was one of the predominant black heart doctors in Richmond. And his, you know, uh, the rest of his family became doctors and lawyers. He was the baby in the, in the black sheep like me as well. And um, I always felt for him because it seemed, you know, my brother and sister did fine, but they weren't doctors and lawyers, mm-hmm. you know. And it, it, it seems like that creates a huge shadow to live under. Is that correct? Did, how did you yeah, uh, kind of going back to what I was saying earlier. My grandma, she is 94 years old from... Louisiana, uh, Alabama, uh, Louisiana. How do I know? Yeah, Louisiana, Grambling State, mm-hmm. and um, she's seen some shit. She's a sharecropper. She sure. had to, she ended up uh, hightailing it out of Louisiana to go to New Mexico to dodge segregation. I was just talking to my grandma last week because I was just with her, but her whole thing, like her whole philosophy, is education. Because these these people out here, people like white people out here, quote unquote, won't respect you if you do not know how to talk. If you don't know how to educate yourself, you don't know how to explain yourself. Mm-hmm. And so that was embedded into our family. Go to college, get that degree, and you'll get the respect that you deserve. I and my family, and this is something that we actually talk about a lot. Um, there are generational type of issues in our family in the sense that like the generation before me, they were so focused on the education that they weren't focused on the money. Mm-hmm. So now my uncle, he's still out there trying to grind, trying to get that Mercedes Benz, right? And it's one of those things where it's like, well... If we had better financial literacy in our family, then maybe you would have already had that and his son wouldn't be working at wherever he's working at right now, right? right. And so me being in the position that I am, you know, I, grad- I dropped out of uh, college. My family was not happy about that and they were nervous about what the fuck I was trying to do with my life. Sure. I could imagine, yeah. And even up until the last five, six years, they were still like, well, what the hell are you doing? Now they know. But the point is, is that me and my nephew, actually, my nephew is the fucking man. Like, honestly, like my nephew is probably the, the biggest creative in Arizona that people don't know about. Mm-hmm. He's worked with he's worked with Kanye West, Kid Cudi, Travis Scott, Drake. Um, he's currently he's currently working with uh, Dot the Genius and Kid Cudi right now. Um, he's the man. And but he going back to the leadership thing. Right. I raised this kid, wiped his ass and all this stuff and so forth. So he's he's always calls me for that advice and says, hey, I need help. And you're the male role model that maybe you, to him, that maybe you didn't have as much. Exactly. And so a lot of all this just comes down to knowing, knowing what I want. I'm saying the top of the discussion where it's just like, I want to be great. There are people in my life who believe in me and want to be, and want me to be great too. Family, friends, whatever. So going back to the pressure, the educational pressure uh, there's a, I don't even know what the tipping point was, but there's a point in time where I was like, fuck it, I'm going to do this, and y'all are just going to respect it or not, whatever. And I, there was, I, I had some estrangement from the family for a little bit, too, mm-hmm. because they wanted me to go to college and do all that, and I wasn't doing that. Right. I'm like, this is what I want to do. I want to be an artist. I want to tell stories. And my brother, who is probably my biggest male model in my life because my, my father passed away, he, he is like this super charismatic he does speeches for a living, right? Wow. He tours the country and does uh, speeches on diversity and, okay. and, and, and inclusion all right. and bias and all this stuff. He commands like $25,000 a speech. Just doing his thing, right? right? And so I look at him, I look at all my siblings in my family, and I, and I realize that I pull all these different traits from them. Um, my sister, who's a super nerd, and I'm saying she has a, a doctorate in microbiology, 
She's over here uh, working with like wetlands and different types of, she's just amazing, right? Right. But if you have conversations with her, she was my go-to for COVID. Because she actually was, she works over at. Um, right, she could give you some real information, well, which we was, weren't um, getting. Right, right. She works at the U of A. And when COVID hit, she was actually working with the virus. Okay. To like try to figure some shit out. They were like trying to make like a hand cream or something like that. And so when the virus hit, I was calling her up, like, what's good? And she's like, well, you know, yeah, yeah, this is how it works, et cetera, so forth. So she was like my source. Can I ask you a question? Was her advice more Joe Rogan or more Fauci? <laughs> Somewhere in the middle. Somewhere in the middle, okay. Yeah. Okay. She's a very, very, very practical and very logical person. Okay, I and, get- and, and saying that, I don't intend to, with Joe Rogan, I don't intend to deal with what people thought what he was doing was crazy. I was actually referring to the real information he gave, vitamin mm-hmm. D, uh, losing weight, uh, getting enough sleep and exercise, the more natural uh, combating of the virus that we had. Yeah, um, I mean, that's a whole different podcast, but... Yeah, we don't want to get into that. Yeah, it, it, it gets a little deep. I'm just, I'm just interested that your sister had real... At a time when we were all starving for real information, you had access to real information. Right. And so I felt good about that. I felt a little cocky, too, when I was talking shit on Facebook. But... Because <laughs> I know well, my sister knows because she's working with them saying... I was, I was like that. But, I don't even like to say it out loud, but I've, I haven't gotten coronavirus yet. Oh, really? You're lucky. I've never gotten it. I ended up catching it on the bond. Make yeah. it yeah. The bond got shut down for three weeks. I caught COVID. Yeah, so well, it happens, and we don't. Yeah. We still don't know. Actually, I haven't heard. What three of the cast members caught COVID, and we're all survived. God yeah. bless. So okay. good. That was that was a, that was scary as fuck when that happened, and it was ironic. So yeah, you no know, one of those ironic shooting a pandemic movie and catching a virus yeah. things that yeah. happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> reality, uh, reality shoot. Right. Yeah. I, I will be honest to admit when I first started following you on Facebook uh, on social media. Um, some of your posts were off-putting, or uh, I didn't understand. Uh, sure. And I'm sure you've heard this from other people. I'm not the first. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure when you write some of these things, you, you're an intelligent man. You know what you're writing. You know what you're doing. Um, I, yeah. I, I would say that after getting, after getting to know you through your art and just from, a, from afar getting to know you the little bit that I have, it, it seems to me that the posts I may have thought – were a little off-putting or a little awkward, to me now seems like um, self-affirming pronounced, I'm not going to say that word correctly, self-affirming exclamations, I guess is what. Do you have an example of a post? No, no, no. (laughs) Well, you know, you know, you'll have a post that, uh, you know, simply says, you know, I did this and I'm great or something. You know, I'm paraphrasing. I'm generalizing. But they can be somewhat self-aggrandizing at times. Absolutely, yeah. And and you 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 have full confidence. You don't apologize for that no. at all. Is that a part of you, kind of beating the blues back? Uh, um. So when it comes to Facebook in particular, and this is di- I'm different on, on on different social media channels for whatever reason. Like okay. on Instagram, you can see me tell jokes all day. Um, but on Facebook, the reason why I love Facebook. The, the most is because one I can write the most so long ass yeah. stories if I want to mm-hmm. and most of my family and friends are on it so I treat Facebook and I tell people all this all the time once I explain this to them they're like oh that makes sense I treat Facebook as a real time personal journal mm-hmm. of my thoughts mm-hmm. in real time so if I if I make a post I'm thinking about that probably right now right right what ends up happening is that <laughs> because of my my Geminian personality and my ego and the fact that I am black in a 3% black fucking state, I'd be coming off I'm a kind of aggressive and I'd be saying shit that'd be pissing people off. Whatever. At the end of the day, 
I'm still going to be who I am. And what I love the most about Facebook are the Facebook memories. Mm-hmm. Every day I check my Facebook memories. I have, at this point, probably thousands of Facebook posts, right? Sure. So I go on Facebook memories and I look back 10 years and I'm like, damn, that was wild. Yeah. Or, damn, that, I, was, I was right about that. Right. Or, damn, that guy was an asshole. Right. Or, damn, so it's good to look for receipts, right? Yeah. Or, damn, I was killing it. You see how it worked out, in other right. words. You kind of exactly. see how it worked So for me, in, in every couple of years, I'll download all my Facebook history and have it on my computer. Mm. I actually had this idea about making um, a coffee book, a coffee table book out of all my Facebook posts. So you, you, you flip through it, and there's the Facebook post, and you have all the comments from all the different people talking I think the, the minute after your, your hit movie hits, you'll have a national bestseller with that. And yeah. I know you want to do it all now. I know you don't want to wait right. for some goal to do everything. That's ridiculous, because then we never do anything. Right. But, uh, yeah, that, that book would be interesting. I, but I also love – part of my, my brother's brand, he does this brand called JP Enterprises. They focus on diversity, inclusion, and bias, et cetera, and so forth. But their tagline is the right kind of uncomfortable – and if you ever talk to my fucking brother, he loves to have uncomfortable conversations about whatever. We just had a wild ass conversation when I saw him a couple of days ago about Juneteenth. Mm-hmm. And I kind of got that from him. I definitely picked that up from him where it's like we could talk. We could have that uncom- uncomfortable talk about that mass shooting or mm-hmm. why your music sucks or why you know what I'm saying whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I'll talk to you about it. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying mm-hmm. and I always try to keep it civil. Mm-hmm. I never try to cross that line. Sure. It might happen from time to time. I think recently I just roasted the hell out of some dude, but I was just that was just a bad day for me. <laughs> that was the first time I, that was a while that I had gone into a roast session. But um, usually I try to keep it civil. I try to walk the line and just you know have that conversation and make people kind of come to their own conclusions. I never try to steer anybody in a certain direction. What I say is what I say, and that's who I am. If you accept it, fine. If not, that's cool too. You can block me. You can. Uh, plenty of people have. So right, and I, I'm cool with that. You you alluded to it being being a, a black person, a black man in a state where it's you know three four whatever small percentage of black people. Mm-hmm. That's what surprised me when I first moved here. I came from Richmond, where in the city of Richmond it's about fifty fifty. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, wow, I'm in a big city now. There's this is the fourth biggest city in the country. Obviously, hip hop is going to be expanded and and all these opportunities. And what I forgot to do the numbers was is that, you know, 50% of X amount and 3% of X amount, yeah, you know, it's it's kind of, it's not, it's still more and bigger here in Phoenix than it was in Richmond. Don't get me wrong. It's just not as big as I thought it was because it's, you know, the black people only 3%. Also, too, um, Arizona's a big college state, too. Right. ASU, U of A, and even in Flagstaff. So there's a lot of people who are transplants here who are here for three or four years and then dip. Yeah. So it's really kind of hard to lock in a culture out here. But honestly, that's why I keep telling people that's actually one of the biggest advantages about Arizona is that Arizona is a melting pot. Well, people say that about there's no culture here. We've heard that ever since we came here. Oh, there's no culture. There's no culture. And I tell people, especially black people, I come from Virginia where we are rich Mm -hmm. in culture. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of that culture is painful. Sure. A lot of that culture is hurtful. But I will say, coming from there to here, what I've learned, and, and pardon me, I don't want to speak out of turn, um, it seems like black folks here are a little bit more protective, a little bit more paranoid about blackness than, than where I came from in Richmond. In Richmond, people that are black know they're black, they know who's white, it's, it's very defined, people have found a way to either say I love you or fuck you, however they feel. Um, Let me sit do you think? That. Do you think I'm? Yeah. Do you think I'm? Do you think I'm onto something there? Or do you think I'm just a crazy old white guy? So I'm, I'm open to your critique. I th- I'm going to apply this to me personally. Sure. 
because I think about my son, right? So my son is three different races. He is Indonesian, he is Dutch, and he is black. Okay. And if you look at him, he's, he's whatever, right? And so, and my wife is Jewish. So my family unit is not the traditional black family unit, right? Pardon me for interrupting. Wouldn't your son, wouldn't he be Jewish as well? They're, they're not the same. His mom is a different. Okay. Different uh, mother. I, I, I different mother. Yeah, my bad. My bad. Um, and so um, because of that, I, first of all, I have very rich black history from my grandma. She has land in Grambling University right now. Both my brothers and my both brother and sister with the doctorates went to Grambling. I've been to Louisiana a bunch of times. I have a bunch of family down there, so right. I have a lot of roots from in the, from the South and sure. like traditional Black values. I grew up Baptist, et cetera, and so forth. But coming out to Arizona with the melting pot, I've been exposed to so many different backgrounds that I kind of am more on this liberal kind of we're all blended together Zion Matrix vibe, right? Where I believe that we're all derived from the same source, right? And so going back to your question, the paranoia that I feel as a black person is mostly attached to my fears of a black person in America. What does it mean to be black in America? I have conversations with my son about this all the time where it's like, yeah, you might be white passing at your school that you go to, but a, po- a police officer might pull you over and cap your ass because you're blackish. You're black enough, right? Tough conversation. And these are all these com- these are all these things that I have to think about right now. Like this conversation that I have with my brother about Juneteenth, right? And the and the whole point of it, Juneteenth ice cream and all this bullshit, right? These are conversations that I honestly do not want to have as a black person because they're hard talks, right? Basically, what you're saying before, but I need to have them for the sake of keeping my son in the knowledge and just keeping my mind sharp, right? Mm-hmm. But moving forward and looking forward, I always think about my son, my multiracial, beautiful child, and the fact that I'm trying to have another kid with my Jewish wife, right? Mm-hmm. I'm making rainbow child kids over here. Mm-hmm. So I can't be over here saying, oh, you know, uh, pro-black everything, pro-black everything, and, and alienate half my child. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying not to make this too racist. No, I got That's kind of how I feel about that. I, I, uh, I, I, people think I'm racial. Not Some people think I'm a racist. I had to fight against that in Arizona after... 50 years of not having to fight against that. But uh, I am racial because race has affected me as a guy that grew up in the South, Southern Baptist Church, uh, immediately fell in love with hip hop and black people, black people before hip hop, actually, and black culture. Um, it's always been tough for me. Sure. I'm a man of a certain age. And for the people that don't remember, it wasn't so cool to be a white guy in hip hop, you know, 30 years ago. Uh, so one of my favorite analogies is that being white in hip hop is the equivalent of being black in America? I agree. In the I, sense I, that, I, I it, totally that it's, it's, a, it's an uphill battle that you'll probably never fucking win. Right. And you gotta deal with that. If you right. accept that, then we'll, we'll welcome you, but welcome arms. But right. you have motherfuckers like Tom McDonald and all these people out here who like to push those buttons and kind of tip that scale. And it's like, well, keep in mind that there's culture, there's rich tradition, there are values that people extract from this stuff. And if you want to muddy the waters for the sake of clout and yeah. TikTok likes, then you know. Is it unfair that he fucks with us like that as a Canadian? He's not even American. So he he hadn't really... Actually, I didn't even know that. He hadn't really dealt with racism in, in America on either side. Uh, so it's, I think it's a little unfair that he likes to poke at us like <laughs> well, that. Well, okay, so that makes me think about Drake, right? So fucking Drake, he's not from America. Yeah, he's Canadian he's as def- well. He's definitely co-opted all that American money and spends American... hangs out in American cities and do all that. Sure. But he's never spoken on American issues. No. Why? He's not fucking American. Should, should Drake be speaking on Black Lives Matter? 
I mean, he should. You think that he should as right? a black man. Most I think, think that he should, but he's not obligated to because he's not from this country. Now, true. now that is a cop out. But is he smarter? Is he a businessman? Is he a smarter businessman by not speaking on it? If Drake had dropped a, a surprise Black Lives Matter album on some Kendrick Lamar shit, he would have changed the fucking world. True, but maybe that's just not in him. Which is fair. You know, I can't hate him for that. It's just interesting right. because we, right. we talked about the Canadian sure. thing. Yeah. And I immediately thought about Drake. I'm like, sure. well, Drake's Canadian. We don't, we're not over here saying, well, you need to talk about black people more, Drake. Drake no. no. We, we could put that pressure on him, and eventually I think he would. We, ha- we have asked that of white rappers in hip-hop. We have asked that of white folks in hip-hop to come out and be verbal. I think that's the dues that have to be paid, though. And it gets complicated as we talk about this, and I'm saying this out loud. No, I'm saying it, 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 Feel it's, free. It's, it's, it's different because I feel like with, I don't know, because like with Drake, right, like he does have that black side. You look at his father. He has those roots in that lineage, yes. so he kind of gets a pass on that, right? But, you know... A purebred white rapper from Kansas trying to get a pop, like Jack Harlow, for example, right? Uphill battle for that man. Uphill battle. The entire time. Everyone blamed him for being carried into the Kentucky Derby. No one blamed the men that carried him. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's the thing with me when you talk about, you know, Jack Harlow, nobody's, everybody likes to, he's under intense criticism since his new project dropped because it seems like they're trying to make him the guy. Sure. Right? But, People, I've seen people, uh, a lot of local people, but people in general put heap a lot of criticism on him in particular. But no one tends to criticize DJ Drama, who brought him into the game. Nobody tends to criticize, like I said, the black men that did the actual carrying of him or his black management that made somebody carry him. You know, there's no white guy, like you mentioned, not many white guys, except for maybe Tom McDonald, get into the game solely on their own without the help and cooperation of the homies, the producers, the management, the agents, the radio podcasters. There's a whole group of people that have to align with you to make it in this game, hip hop, right? So the thing is, there's a lane for white rappers, though. Like, oh, so there, there's, there's definitely favorite, a lane. Sure. One of my favorite artists in Arizona, period, hands down, is Marley B. Marley B. from Tucson, Arizona. Okay. Dude just got off tour with Dizzy White. Right. And if you listen to his music, it's compelling. He's a great storyteller. His production is great. He's solid. And if you talk to him, he's a fantastic guy. Okay. And honestly, it's kind of all you need, right? Right. If you're pushing and you're really about the culture and you're really all about it, you can make it happen and these people will believe in you. Right. A lot of times, though, what you're kind of seeing is a lot of people are fucking around with that aesthetic. Being like like Tom McDonald, for example, I'm gonna try and trigger people and make people mad using hip hop as a tool. Sure, I don't I don't like that. That's disrespectful. If you just want to make a podcast and talk about shit, so be it. Yeah, but you're using our culture to do that, Mm -hmm. and that's where people are like, oh, that's not cool Mm -hmm. because we're not signing off on that. Right. Jack Harlow made a song saying "Red Hats Forever" or something like that. We would flip, right? He 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 aligned himself with KFC. And mentioned how much he loved black women in the same week. Is he trying too hard? I don't know Jack Harlow enough to say that. <laughs> good, good answer. That's a I, smart I don't, answer. I don't know him enough. All right, let's forget about white rappers <laughs> and Jack Harlow for a minute. Um, to, to get back to this Bond movie, it's a great movie. I've seen the movie. It's a good movie on its own. When you think about that this whole thing came together from one person's brain and a lot of hard work from a crew of dedicated people that align themselves with this one person's brain, to me that makes it a spectacular movie. The Bond. You've got a lot of other projects on deck. Will there, is there any chance we will revisit The Bond in a sequel, in, a, in a, another movie that, that is tied to that universe? That's, 
literally the biggest question that I've been asked because sure. as you know it's the, necessary. As you know, the movie ends on a cliffhanger. Yes. Um it seems like a traditional some more shit's coming ending. I won't give anything away, but you know So uh, with that said, yes, we will be making a sequel to a to the bond. Incredible. Um incredible. Hold on, let me <laughs> Now, the, okay, the, 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 the big question is, when are we going to make the sequel to The Bond? I have a story in mind. I, I, uh, so basically, The Bond was supposed to be a trilogy originally. Like When I was writing this, I'm like, there's going to be a before and an after to this because the movie kind of picks up in the middle. And so I was going to have a movie kind of explaining the events leading up to the movie and then the, what happens afterwards, right? Um, but I also have three other movies on my slate, including Magenta, uh, Nameless Horizon, and I think we decided that we're going to shoot in a project called Run that I'm working on. Um, the next Bond probably won't come out for three or four years if it does. Okay, it's understandable. Big, it's a big if, like yeah. just because, like I said before, like shooting the Bond was hard as fuck. It was probably the most stressful thing I've ever done in my life, hands down. Was making that movie. I forgot to ask the fight scenes. The hardest part of shooting that film. Because in my novice mind, I would imagine the fight scenes were hardest. I, I'm just guessing. What was what were the harder scenes? Yeah, the fight scenes were okay because we choreographed them. Okay, I would say the preparation was probably the hardest. And I'll just keep it civil. I was going to say something kind of mean, but um, <laughs> no, it, it, it was it was just yeah. The fight scenes were the hardest. We'll just say that the fight okay. scenes were the hardest. Right. <laughs> agree sure. with the, agree with the hosts. Okay, we yeah, got yeah, no, no pain there. If I had to put you on the spot, who's your favorite director? Currently or all time? You can give me both. If they're different, I'll take both. Uh, currently is uh, Taika Watiti. Okay. He's a fucking man. I love all his right. work. All time. We'll Google that. He's the guy who did Thor. Okay. Thor and what we did in the shadows. I never thought Thor would be as popular as it's become. That's because of that dude. Yeah, okay. He flipped the script on that. Okay. Um, also, my all time favorite director... And this is actually a really tough one um, because the film student in me would be like, oh, well, it's actually Akira Kurosawa because of the way he uses shots. But honestly, it's probably Darren, Darren Aronofsky or Christopher Nolan. Okay. Yeah. Just for the unfamiliar, what did, what's some of their pop, uh, bigger film or popular Darren films? Aronofsky, he's most famously known for Requiem for a Dream. Okay. I've seen that. Yeah. So like the, the big shots of the eyes and all that stuff, mm-hmm. that's his style. Mm-hmm. Christopher Nolan, you know Christopher Nolan, Tenet. Interstellar. Okay, Interstellar. I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of writer-directors. So, like, directors who write their own scripts and create them themselves. Of course you are. That makes um, sense. With yeah. that said, uh, there are directors who are um, pretty good at not doing that. And I'm saying I think about um dude who did Spider-Man, John Watts. Those movies are pretty fire. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying, like... I know you're a superhero fan. What, how, how do you speak to the critics of superhero movies? Some of the older Hollywood types think they're trash or they're ruining Hollywood. Um, I think oh, super movies... They are definitely ruining Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> so you agree, okay. Yeah, 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 because at the end of the day, it's all about homogenization and indoctrination. And this is the reason why I don't own any Apple products. 
because when you own an Apple phone, you now have to buy the Apple computer. You yes. got to buy the Apple shit, et cetera, so forth. Yes. That's the same exact shit that the MCU is doing. In order for you to understand Doctor Strange three, you got to watch. You got to go watch WandaVision. Over here, you got to right, watch okay. Endgame. Right. You got to watch fifteen other movies to yeah. really understand that yeah. movie and appreciate it for its worth. I was a huge superhero fan, but I just don't have the time and energy to keep up with it. I still team. watch them all. I yeah. love them all, yeah. but because I'm a superhero fan, right, but right. I see, I see why people say that. I absolutely agree that it's messing up Hollywood because a lot of it too for me. I, I get so mad when they like announce reboots and sequels and yes. all this stuff because it's like make a move. Make, there, make there's so new. many people like me new who stories. have like fresh ideas and yes. fresh stuff like that. Yes. Like sign me, Disney. I'll give you five brand new IPs tomorrow, and we can make all that shit be fire. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying, but instead they want to make Star Wars ten, right? Because is that just marketing and business? It's easier to sell something familiar. It's it goes back to the indoctrination. And McDonald's, you have happy. It's easier to have happy meals yeah. with that than it would be with your movie. So. It's risky to to do new things. You yes. know what I'm saying it's yes. it's comfortable to make Jurassic Park seven. Yes, you know what I'm saying because Jurassic Park seven, you know, it's it's a. Uh, it's a, a well-known franchise. People are raving about it. Yeah. My, my mother-in-law told me the storyline, and it sounds like they just keep reworking the same storyline. Mm-hmm. They would This time, they were already dinosaurs, but them crazy scientists got to meddling again, and, and now we got problems. Well, that was the, the way the whole movie started. Right. You know. And I, I mean, I'm also a fan of like you know famous IP. As I have my Spider-Man script that went viral a couple years ago that I wrote. I've seen and, you mention it. And, yeah. and a dream scenario would be for me to direct the Spider-Man movie. Mm-hmm. I would... A very dream scenario would be for me to write and direct the Spider-Man movie, but I might just get offered to direct Spider-Man. Hell yeah, I'll do that shit. While we're on the subject real quick, is there a reason why we keep seeing Batman and Spider-Man's origin story over and over again? Uh, am I wrong? It feels that way. It feels like they keep telling us those um, stories over and over Origin again. story, so, so this is actually uh, going back to psychology. It turns out that people enjoy stories when they know the story already, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. So you think about Batman's origin story. We know the story already. Mm-hmm. So we go there for that familiarity. If they decide to flip the script and just be like, well, Batman turned out to be a rapist or something like that. Right. <laughs> like, it, was, it got really dark yeah, during the Frank Miller years. mad because you, you see it all the time, right? When right. people change the story, like, oh, well, in the comics, he was this and that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's that familiarity. We get addicted to right. that. It's like a comfort for us. And so telling the origin stories over and over again is fine, I'm saying. but I didn't, uh, I didn't particularly care for the latest Batman. I don't think you did either. Is that correct? Uh No. Am I right? Was it too much of a twilight? I felt like it was geared towards women, for lack of a better way to say it. I'll get racial for a second. So with the Bond, I made a vow to myself that I will always cast a lead black actor in a film. It's because I'm black. It's that fucking simple. Why? Because we have a homogenization. That's my favorite word right now. I keep using it. Of white savior superhero guys. Yeah. Sure. But Batman, Bat, he gets angrier and angrier and whiter and richer <laughs> every fucking movie. Yeah. Right? right? Remember Batman in the 60s when he was goofing around yeah. and dancing yeah, and yeah, yeah, pal yeah. symbols? Yeah, yeah. yeah, from there, every every time they bring him out, he gets darker. Right. The next, I made a joke about this where I just posted a black square and I'm like, this is the, the screenshot from the next <laughs> Batman movie. It's that's just, how dark it just is. Just how right? dark it is. Because yeah, yeah. that's how they do. And it's like, I, going back to the Spider Man movie, if I had to direct the Spider Man movie, I would ask to direct Miles. Miles Morales. Okay. I wouldn't, even though I love Peter Parker to death, if you're going to have me direct it, it has to be Miles Morales. Or we're making a black Spider Man. Right. But it has to be. That's just how I roll. Right, I got you know it. I'm saying? I got it. And I think about that even as I say that out loud. Ryan Coogler is another one of my favorite directors. He's on the same motif. But, but because of that, going back to the discussion with my son, right? 
you know, if they wanted me to direct Iron Man three or four or five with Robert Downey Jr. Jr. As I long would, as Falcon's hanging around or something, right? Yeah, as long as there's black representation. <laughs> right, right, right. Right. So, but if I'm writing and directing the film, absolutely, it will always be a black, black lead. That's cool. Is Jordan Peele really that good, or is he just fooling me? I think Jordan. Was it Peele, yet to be seen? I think. I think the funny thing about Jordan Peele is that he's always shown that he's been doing horror. Like if you watch the Key and Peele skits, it, they've always been on this weird horror vibe, right? Mm-hmm. And now that he's the man, basically, he's really flexing in that lane. And that's just from Get Out. Uh, he did Us too. Okay, I, I needed to get up on that one. Yeah, okay. Us is Us is fantastic too. I fell in love with Get Out. Now I may be. It may be a problem that I laughed through a lot of it. Some I, funny moments. I, uh, I, I guess la- it depends on what scenes you laugh. At. I laughed at weird <laughs> parts. Um, when this is a weird part, let me know. It, this might may get me in trouble, but when they showed the scene and they had this huge yard, and the gentleman was cutting the yard with a non-electric push mower, the old-fashioned kind. To me, that that struck me as is weird and funny in a mean way, like funny in a dark way that they would make him now as you learn the story later on you figure out that he just likes being young and energetic body and exercise and all that so it makes sense but at first you don't know all that you just see them making him cut all this yard you you at first you think he's just a, a a black man that works for them and he's cutting this whole yard i mean a huge acreage with just a push mower, I didn't. Is, think that's about a weird. That. That's a weird thing that I think I pick up. Uh, huh. Several times I was giggling in the movie, and people were looking at me. Funny, I've only but, seen the movie twice, and now yeah. now I think I have to go back and watch it and look for details like that because I probably didn't. Pick yeah, up on but that. I, I, because of my because of my illustrious past, um, the the dark or the untold side of the story always compels me. There's always. You know, there's the story that's told, then there's the other side of the story. And a lot of times the other side of the story is more important to why things happened than the story we're told. That's true. And I I love those untold stories that were motivators of the events that, you know, for whatever reason, usually because they're uncomfortable facts, you know, um, is, is why we haven't heard them. But I love hearing that other side of the story. I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, and you're a movie buff, so this kind of relates, but... Uh, in my father's day, he was a much older man. Um, my grandfather was born in 1899. My father was born in 1930. So in his day in Richmond, there was the the Broad Street is the main street that runs through the city. Mm-hmm. And on there was in his day, one side of Broad Street was called the bad side. That was you know, and Richmond has an illustrious history of uh, Maggie Walker, the first black woman to own a bank. Uh, there were very successful black people in Richmond. There was never, you couldn't grow up in Richmond and think of black people in one way. There was too many, there was wealthy, poor, it was everything. Uh So, but in his day, all the movie theaters were technically on the wrong side of Broad Street. So the wrong side of Broad Street was where all the black business was. The, the right side was where all the, you know, Tallheimers, the big department stores, all of that was. So it was, it was weird how it was that segregated. And if you didn't know somebody from live from that time, you would never realize that about Richmond, you know. And uh, it's just race, unfortunately, has been a big motivator in my life in one way or the other. And I've sure, always had yeah. to deal with it. And, I, and unfortunately for me, I probably need therapy. It's been in, in, imprinted on me. 
you know. Yeah. It's hard for me to have a conversation and not originally, and not for it to get back to that somehow, you know. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, so I apologize for that in advance and in, in retrospect. Um, who's your favorite rapper in Tucson right now? Marley B. Marley B. That's also, good. shout out to Cash Lansky and Tommy Will. Cash Lansky. I've heard of Cash Lansky. I've heard of Marley B. I need to do some investigation on the other gentlemen and their music. Uh, favorite rapper in Phoenix currently? Hmm. Not including yourself, uh, of course, just to be polite. Favorite rapper in Phoenix currently? Oh, man. It's tough. This is one of those things where I start making lists and people get upset. But this is not a list. This is just uh, your, your personal opinion. So th- these are rappers who currently live and lay their head in Phoenix. Ah, you just, it, no, no, that matters. That, that matters. Does, well, qualifier. Okay, that's your qualifier. Okay. Go ahead. Sure. All right, then. So Tory Masters, I fuck with him heavy. Okay. I like uh, Futuristic. He's dope. Sure. I like, uh, man, why'd you make me do this? I hate doing shit like this. <laughs> know who my favorite rapper you've said, is, you've actually. Said a, you've said enough. You don't uh, have to keep going. Mega Ran. Mega Ran. Mega Ran, I think, is actually, like, the GOAT. Why does Mega Ran not get more, more respect? Is it because of the type of hip-hop he does? He gets a lot of respect from me and a lot of people I talk to. I don't mean that he doesn't get respect, but I think he might get overlooked sometimes. There is a massive stigma behind or against uh, blurred culture. So blurred culture is black nerd. There's a massive stigma behind it. Sure. And he's like the leader of the blurreds. He's like a blurred king. So because of that, um, that's why you don't see the people who should be supporting him, supporting okay. him. Well, I'll try to get on that bad wagon. Uh, what is, was Tupac gay? Was Tupac gay? <laughs> the, the last day, the last day there's been a, uh, uh, Queen Latifah has been quoted telling a story about Tupac coming to, uh, a gay bar she was at and taking his shirt off and dancing there's always been people that have had questionable pictures of Tupac. People have skated the, around this issue for a while, and <laughs> some people are trying to stand on it now. I'm just curious uh, of your opinion of that. It is Pride Month going on right now. Yeah, I guess You're so. going to ask you this question. Um, I don't know. If would it, would it matter? If we all found it would out. absolutely to, not matter. Right. That's the right answer, I believe. No. Some people I've seen have a problem. Is, <laughs> I can see, I won't get I can into see this. why you why you say that. I can definitely think of some people in my life that I'd be like, oh. But no, they didn't just grow the fuck up. Tupac was gay, it wouldn't matter. It, it, it's no way it could diminish his contribution, right? No, he's been dead for like 20 years, so. Well, I mean, his. I just, sometimes I think I got into an argument with a guy, not an argument, I got into an online debate today, and, uh, you know, and they're just like some, you know, the black community is slow with the, with the, with the gay community sometimes. Is it? What if it turned out that Elton John is not gay? Then he's a sucker because he's been selling that and making money off that image, right? But Falsely? But with that said, that's the same argument with Tupac. Well, Luther, I say, but I don't think, I don't time, think of, I don't think of Luther Vandross as a sucker, and he may have been misleading us a bit over the years. But also at the same time, music goes beyond the person who creates it. That's the power of storytelling. Yes. If I'm telling a story about something, that doesn't mean that's my story, right? Right. So that's why I love Nas. Nas is actually one of my favorite rappers of all time because of his power of storytelling and perspective, right? So it's like I can tell a story about a gay dude. Doesn't mean that I'm gay. Right. People will think that. Right. They're stupid. But right, 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 no, right. Infer- inference right, and right. separation of the viewpoints is how we have to move in this world. Nas is your favorite rapper, so we don't have to actually live every story to, to tell a story. No, because sometimes in rap we get caught up with that too. Mm-mm. 
my, all my life, there have been rappers that have told stories that obviously didn't live them, and that was fine. But for some reason, for some people, especially maybe in drill culture, it's become all too real. So I definitely think there has to be perspective on that story, if that makes any sense. So mm-hmm. if, I'm, if I'm so-and-so and I'm telling a story about a drug deal that went down in the hood, and it wasn't my story, it was a homie story, that's fine, right? If I am so-and-so making up a random-ass story that is nowhere near my culture or right. my identity or anything like that, just for the sake of telling the story, that's actually kind of okay, too, right? But as long as you're, you're clear about that as an artist, right? I just like to tell stories. Are we getting mad at Stephen King for telling fucking The Stand, right? Like, he didn't live that life? People, people seem like they got a little concerned when they found out that um, uh, Spielberg did The Color Purple. I thought that was common knowledge, though. Apparently not. And now, this was on the internet. This was on Facebook. So, of course, we get dumber on Facebook. Can anybody do anything with the current state of the internet? <laughs> no, the internet's the GOAT. Really? Yeah. It, it seems like it's a huge source of negativity. It's a huge source of everything. Everything. That's why okay. it's the GOAT. Cool, 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 cool. It's everything, everywhere, all at once. No, I actually saw... Ah, see what I did there? Ah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's full circle talk right there. All right. Well, look, I don't want to... You've, so, you've been so gracious to guest us with your time and talk to us. Um, before we go, this is the last question, I promise. Just tell us the difference between shopping a movie and shopping a music project. Is that, that's a big world, right? Big question. Shopping a movie is far harder. Whoa! It seems to me you get a little what, bit more time with I'll, the movie, I'll right? I'll ask a counter question. What are the goals when you say shopping? Money or just like... Well, well I, I think if you have an independent uh, music project, you have a release date, you spend money or time promoting it. Usually for most people, a month or two later, it's time to do another music project because that cycle is ended. It's kind of the same thing. A lot of it for me... Don't you get like a year... In, the only difference... As a novice, I'm speaking only. As Don't you... Don't you all the film festivals that happen during a year, can't you submit that like all year to all the different film festivals? Yeah, there's like deadlines and stuff, but yeah. But so, you know, six months from now, there might be another festival that you could enter in and maybe win. And uh, oh, is that typically once the movie's released on a worldwide platform, they don't accept it anymore. Oh, so you kind of have to release it at the right time. Yeah, and get so in once where it's you can out get on in. Amazon, okay. I probably won't be able to submit the most festivals. Oh, okay, I got you. Well, that's my ignorance. That's my ignorance. But a lot of that, too, though, it comes to, like, uh, what was going to say? Um, they're basically the same thing. And when it comes down to, this is also the same thing with social media. It's all psychological breaks. So if you're watching me on my Facebook, right, and you see my posts, you see me talking all this shit, at some point in time, obviously, because I'm fucking here, you're going to reach out to me or click on me or look at my page or go to yeah. my website yeah. at some point in time. And that, that's you breaking that psychological barrier that is set up as you're doing whatever, right? So the same thing for movies. I want people to click on my movie and watch it, right? So I have to keep talking about it. But this is basically what advertising is in a nutshell. I have to keep talking about my movie. They say that typically it's about seven times before someone clicks on something. Mm-hmm. Same thing with marketing for a, a okay. mo- uh, um, your album, right? You have to push it in their face enough times to make them want to click on it. Unless you're Drake and you can surprise drop. No, no. Very few can do that. Let's not don't get don't get these rappers started with thinking they can do surprise drops. <laughs> a matter of fact, to most of y'all independent rappers, your drops are a surprise. <laughs> but that's another issue for another day. Jerron Eichner, I appreciate you coming in. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. It's been my pleasure. I've learned a lot. I hope our audience has learned a lot. I wish you continued success. 
I wish I had some of your focus or motivation or energy, whatever's going on in your head. Smoke sativa weed. It's a good thing. Sativa. Does it give you a headache too much? Sometimes if you have a little bit, never. I I try to smoke sativa exclusively. Sativa can get me a little too excited when I mix it with the coffee. And sometimes Uh, it's not uh, good for a headache. uh, uh, That's not good for the heart. It's just me. Oh, yeah. It gets me going. You exercise? Yeah, I exercise. And you're right. Okay. Take a leave. No, that, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I'm getting was, older. I need to take the inflammation. Something. Okay. All right. Well, I, I need to, too, man. I need to protect my heart. Now, I appreciate <laughs> you looking out for my wife, Will, as well. Uh, Mr. Eichner, thank you so much for coming in. This has been AZMT 3.0, ArizonaMixtapes.com. The mission with Swerve 36, a special guest tonight. I can't say it enough. So much hard work, so much dedication, so much to celebrate. The bomb out now. And give a, give us your uh, website one more time where it's available right now. Uh, you can get the the bond at thebondmovie.com or at jeroneichner.com. Those two websites until uh, about a month or two from now, it will be available yeah, next on week. Uh, next week. Available on Amazon Prime. The first next week. We were having a conversation before you got here, I think. and uh, and talking about movies. And I think you'll get a big bump when it gets to Amazon Prime because people like easy. People. Oh yeah, I know. I, I've had like at least like. 20 people be like, well, I'm just going to wait for it to go on Amazon Prime. I'm like, whatever, dude. It's fine. Support can be lazy sometimes, but it's support no, I understand it because we're, we're putting it on a, like a very obscure way. It's like the bank. Well, we're all spoiled at this point, right? Yeah, exactly. I lived through the years where you didn't know where the new music was going to be, and now we all know where everything's going to be, and exactly. it's right on their phone every minute. So we're a little spoiled. If you want to go get that good indie flavor, if you want to go get that good indie movie and music making, you can go find... Jerron and a lot of other people out there if you just do a little work, you know, where it's not hand service to you. So thank you again for coming in. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate you. So congratulations to you and your lovely queen. I, I hope you bring much, many more projects into the world. And uh, it's been my pleasure to talk with you. I think I've got an interesting perspective and look into your world. Thank and you. It's a big world to look into. I feel <laughs> like we could talk some more, but tonight it's over. Thank you so much to Jerron Eichner for coming in to thank you the so mission. Much. No, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll turn on this one. Old granddad, Big Butch the Lesbian, 
Walter Cronwright, Dan Rather, Smoke Weed, Dirty Harry, Lee X the Theater. That's me, you know. And every week, right here from the beautiful Icon Radio, Respect the Underground Worldwide Radio Studios, we bring you the mission. Now, our mission is to talk to artists, get to the root and to the seed and soil of their purpose, their mission. That's what our mission is. And that's what we do here every week. 